1853, noted United States Commodore Matthew Perry came to the mouth of modern-day Tokyo Bay with a simple demand. Open your ports to the American traders, or we'll burn Tokyo to the ground. Though later known for his sarcastic wit in the popular sitcom Friends, this was no joke. This was a shock to the Tokugawa shogunate, who had kept a policy of strict isolationism from outside influences. The shogunate was concerned of the effect that foreign powers and trade would have on their control of the country, and their concern was merited. Within 15 years, their power would have collapsed, and the new ruling class realized how far behind they had become in the world. Realizing that without a drastic change, they were at risk to be further dominated from outside, they threw open their doors to foreign technology and started an accelerated process of industrialization with their targets set on military might. This change led to many outcomes, including, but not limited to, being banned from the 1950 World Cup. But they wouldn't have qualified for the 1950 World Cup anyways, as it would take time for them to adopt the game and fully mature into an international threat. The first success was in the 1968 Olympics when the Japanese side won the bronze medal. But without a domestic football league, their growth stalled after that. But the early 1990s saw the country put their energy into accelerating something a little more peaceful, their football growth. With the formation of their first professional league in 1991, their footballing growth exceeded expectations. After narrowly missing out on the 1994 World Cup, Japan has qualified for six World Cups in a row, including two appearances in the knockout round in the prior five that have been played. This year, they'll find themselves playing close to home in neighboring Russia, with the goal of joining South Korea as the only AFC team to make it past the round of 16. This week on Joe Picks a World Cup Team, Japan. States no football, but not football, it seems. So now he needs a surrogate. Dan will help him look for it. They'll have decisions to make, like how much genocide's a deal break. Joe picks a World Cup team. He's crossing borders to find out who's for him. What more could you ask for? It's time to stamp your Joe picking passport. Grab your bottle and pour. Let's hope he doesn't start a war. Dan, what's up, man? Joe, how's it going? It's going great. We have we have some guests in the house. Well, wow, Joe. Well, it's like the el- it's the elephant in the room. We can't not talk about it right away. We well, have, have a whole conversation before you introduce. I mean, on my favorite podcast, Doughboys, they always have the guest in the room, and the guests aren't allowed to talk until they're introduced, and they always have, like, five minutes of conversation, and the guest always becomes really annoyed, but I guess... All right, all right, Dan, let's talk, let's talk. We're finally talking about Japan. Well, what's so special about Japan, Joe? Why isn't Japan like all the other countries? Because Japan, I know our audience has been waiting for this long reveal, is the country that I'm visiting this summer, that I will be in for the World Cup. Oh my god, Joe, that's amazing. That is really thrilling. I'm sure our it fans really. out there You know what? Let, let's just let's bring in our guests. Why not? Since since they're here, I'm sure they have something to say about Japan because Joe, you three have something in common that I do not have in common, which is all three of you have been to Japan. I have not. And so here it is, none other than Superfan Tony Fan HD. 
So, yeah, super fan. Oh, sorry, it's on his shirt. Super fan fan emeritus Tony PhD and his lovely wife, super fan fan emeritus Pam PhD. Hey everyone, I know I know it's an audio medium, but I, I have to say I'm wearing a shirt that has the Joe Picks a World Cup team logo on it, uh, and it does say super fan uh, fan emeritus Tony PhD. It was a gift for me. Uh, that's how much that's how much we're super fans. We're we're producing the swag for this show. It is true, and we have a picture of you in the shirt holding the cup of Joe that we'll post on the the subreddit. Uh, the cup of Joe is incredible. It exceeded my expectations. I I thought it was going to be a modified Joe uh, coffee mug, uh, but it actually has a very nice wooden base, uh, and it has uh, you know stained steel on it with an, actually an etching of the Joe silhouette uh, on it. It was it's very impressive. I'm I'm super excited to to put that on my mantle. It is definitely the best trophy I've ever won. We can put it on top of the fireplace. On top of the fireplace. So. Oh wow, wow, what an honor! So, so Tony, you know, Dan and I talked about. So, in addition to the nice wooden base and the beautiful trophy uh, and the etching, there's also a placard with your name on it as the Correct. winner of the inaugural season. Uh, you know, you know, albeit a contested victory. I think we all should recognize. <laughs> uh, um, now we've decided. I don't know if Dan shared this with you that next year. Whoever wins also deserves an etching, of course, to add their name to the base, but that it would be the job of the previous year's winner to, in whatever medium they they felt befitting, uh, to make that next year's placard. So whether, you know, your talent is uh, woodworking like Dan or, or etching like superfan uh, Julia, who did the etching for us, or if it's macaroni art, whatever it is, you would be creating the the placard for next year's winner. I'm, I'm happy to do that. Much as the, uh, the, the, the Shiva trophy in the league, uh, whoever wins the trophy has uh, full power to, to modify the trophy and however they see fit. Uh, and so uh, I, I trust all the fans in the league uh, can uh, allow me to have stewardess of this cup for at least one year, but probably three years because I'll, I plan on winning on the league for a very long time. I'll just keep modifying the cup now hold on. Well, I think you didn't say anything I, about modifying it as you will. That is, you're just. <laughs> it is a cup of Joe. All all alterations have to go by Joe. Wow. Yeah. Also, I think the official stance is that you're still kicked out of the fantasy football league. So, uh, so, I, uh, you know, until you're officially let back in, I don't know if you're going to win it two years in a row. I see. I see. So I just hold the trophy for the next year where I'm not participating. Well, I don't know. Maybe it's like a boxer where you technically won it, but I don't even give it to you. Like you don't even get to have the belt. It's been taken from you. Yeah, that's right. That's right. All right, Joe, we've, we've got a, a lovely big bottle of sake here. We have to get to, cause we have to open it. We got to crack it open. I mean, we've got a lot of, of drink work to do, but I'm just going to get it started. What are we drinking? Here, Tony asked me. What are you drinking, Joe? What wow. are you drinking, Dan? <laughs> <laughs> the, the rapport is, is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> nice one, Tony. Such you really a nailed flow it. Here. You had you know, one job. I'm talking to the person in my ear, not the person in front of me. Okay. The drink, thanks to Superfan Sean, it has to be sake. Buy a bottle and ask if it's best served cold, tepid, or hot. When I went to Japan, I stayed at a friend's house. She took me to dinner with her friend to a chicken restaurant. I let them order, and the chicken came out raw and in small pieces. I assume it was self-barbecue restaurant, but nope. 
They started eating the chicken raw. After my shotgun revulsion wore off, I got into it too, and it was pretty delicious, except for the chicken liver, which was absolutely disgusting. My advice, if served raw chicken, is to pass over the liver. Okay, so the drink part of that was the first part. The rest of it really didn't connect back. But anyways, we have purchased a bottle of sake. We've got... Uh, what is this? I don't even know what is the I brand think the name. the brand Toza. is called Tozai. We've got a Tozai Snow Maiden here. Do you, like, shake it up a little bit, or do you let the stuff settle? I think you should shake it. There's a... There's oh, so you have, like, a nicely, like, unfiltered sake. A little bit cloudy? Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's great. See. That's great. So mine is a clear sake, Ooh. and it's uh, Hakusura brand. And it is, you can serve it any range from cold to warm to hot. So I'm serving it room temperature. Wow. Uh, well, how do we know how to serve ours? Cold. Just stay on there. But usually if you have, un- ah, yeah, usually, usually you serve unfiltered sake cold. Correct. Okay. Well, all right. Cups are up. Pouring, pouring the sake now. Oh, look at that. Creamy, milky. Now I'm still a bit sick, but I'm going to sip on some sake. I mean, what's the worst that could happen, Joe? I think sake is probably good for you. Oh, you're drinking out of a out of a nice red solo cup. Very classy. Wow. <laughs> I didn't have time, Joe. You were rushing me. I didn't have time to bring the good glasses. Um. Okay, guys. Joe, obviously, well, Joe, you've had sake before, I'm sure, so, but we'll, we'll yes. here, you guys, take a sip of the sake, tell me what you think. Cheers. Cheers. Mm. Kanpai. Kanpai. This is really good for unfiltered sake. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mine's good too, Dan. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Like very velvety. Yeah. Oh, velvety, yeah. Are you guys big sake drinkers, like, in your life? Do you guys, like, get sake when you go out for sushi or whatever, or do you drink it at home? Yeah, so every time I come to San Francisco, uh, Dan and I have an annual uh, sushi dinner where we order a lot of sake. Uh, and it's really good. Uh pairs really well. And uh, Pam, in general, is probably more of a soju drinker because she's Korean. Yeah. Yeah, they also did bring us a nice bottle of soju, so we'll we'll have that as well, uh, off podcast. But yeah, sake is good. Sake really is great. Handsome. The only question I have about the sake is when are you guys going to switch to the Zabrowka? Well, Joe, I, I I guess if you're just bringing it up, let's just jump right into the mailbag. So I've got a a mailbag. Entry from a, a new super fan, super fan Zebulon. Now, Joe, I don't know how familiar you are with the name Zebulon. I mean, it, it, do you have a, a bunch of friends with the name Zebulon? I mean, I have a cousin, uh, and then, you know, I went to elementary school with a Zebulon, of course. But yes, yes. other than that, we don't, yeah. we don't keep in touch much. I mean, we had so many Zebulons in my class that we all called them by their last initial, you know, Zebulon T, Zebulon yeah, Zebulon, et cetera. Yeah, exactly. Now, of course, as we know, Zebulon, Polish name. So Zebulon has specifically written in to talk about our Poland episode, Joe. Here we go. Hi, guys. Let me first say that I stumbled upon, across this podcast when on a road trip Saturday and I managed to catch up through Belgium. That is all the way, you know... 
It's tip like, of the cap to Zabulon. It's like 24 yeah. hours. That's a lot. Yeah. Oh, that's, <laughs> way more than that. I mean, wait, does a, wait, does a, uh, did Zabulon dip his toe into season one? Or, or is he purely a Fjord jumper season two? Well, well, hear what he says. You right. guys have saved me from countless hours of boredom. To need, needless to say, I'm a big fan. Also, it goes without saying, I am unfortunately a bandwagoner. So he is. He he doesn't even know what Fjord jumper means. I mean, look, I will I will welcome Zabulon into the fold. That level of dedication. I mean, you got to come out of a road trip listening only to us for 44 hours. You know, you're pretty weird at the end of that drive. And here's what he has to say, Joe, bring it all back. At any rate, the point of my email is to urge Joe to reconsider Poland. With Poland's increased score in the drink category, they're considerably closer to contention. Not to mention the fact that Poland was awarded a 10 in the category of food and couponing, which at the time was unscored. So if that score were added, you set aside Poland's poor scores in the kit and history with U.S. men's national team, the Poles would have an average of a little above 6. I think Joe might want to take this into account since Poland not only has the best vodka, but also the best football team at this World Cup. I mean, wow. Very optimistic, Zabulon. Now, he also says, on a side note, I think you were a little hard on the national team's nickname, the Biale Orli, which is pronounced Biawa Orwa. Oh, oops. Since the I with the slash through it makes the W sound kind of like the W in water. Anyways, the White Eagle's nickname is derived from ancient Slavic mythology rather than from the nationalist right. Have a great day, Zabulon. I mean, I would just ask Zabulon, so, so who, in Zabulon's opinion, am I kicking out to make room for Poland? Because he makes a valid argument. I mean, certainly, like, numerically, I think there's an argument that they should be there. I mean, have I not moved anyone forward who had above a six? I don't know. Yeah. I mean, we should know this, the, the details, but Joe... I don't, but I think that in our last podcast, as a you know, the end is nigh. You yeah. had had made a zombie team and added in a zombie team. I'm wondering if you want to create this the same type of dynamic where maybe you pick a few teams that you felt maybe didn't get a full they didn't get the fair. I mean, obviously, Poland, if what he's saying is correct, it sounds like Poland really got screwed by the changes we made. Like they would have really uh gone up. In, in the categories that we now count and gone and you know we eliminated their bad categories and Joe you love Zabrowka like you love I do, you're, I you're mean, buying it on your own I do love Zabrowka okay okay so yeah I mean let me think about it throughout this episode and then we'll do that as the poll question this week who who's our zombie team and we'll throw Poland and maybe two other teams in the mix and see what happens and Joe is our one last thing that this email brought up when Super fan fan emeritus Tony came. The first thing he said was, "Where's your Zabrowka? I want to try this." Now you had finished all my Zabrowka. I was out of Zabrowka, Joe. So we made a special trip today. Got Zabrowka along with the sake, and now Tony and Pam are about to go into the Zabrowka club, Joe. Okay, let me go get my Zabrowka. I want to drink with them. I'll be right back. See, look what Zabrowka does to people. No, no, no you, you I, can't. I, I'm not. I, I just want to look at the bottle, the bottle because there's, first of all, there's a lot of green on the top of the bottle. It's a clear bottle, but it, it's almost like they're trying to. So I'm, I'm pouring the Zabrowka. Green bison grass. First, I will close nice, the bottle. Lovely hills. I don't want you to get too much of the smell of it. It's a beautiful bottle. Notice the piece of bison grass in there. Oh, there straight is, from yes. straight from the the fields of Poland. Oh, there is in wow. a, a picture of a bison. 
walking on said bison grass. On, on bison grass. Yeah, that's right. All <laughs> right, and goodness. back. The smell of it is just... The flavor of bison grass. It's just so incredible. Uh, it doesn't smell like vodka at all. All right. inspired this unique flavor of vodka. Tony and Pam are about to get into the Zabrowka Club. Okay, guys. we got to do the right cheers, though. Ready? Nazdrovia. Nazdrovia. Unlike any vodka, he's sipping it. He's he's contemplating. Wow, it is. It's so refreshing. Yeah, it's very. You could take this vodka jogging with you. It's very refreshing. (laughs) Yeah, very good summer drink. Wow. Yeah. It's it's. Can I drink the rest of this? Yeah, Pam's. We got a whole bottle of it. That's Pam's now. Yeah, I'm not getting that back. I mean, it's just vodka, though. It is 40% alcohol. <laughs> it doesn't taste it's like just it's 40% vodka. alcohol. It, it, I know. It's got this nice lime flavor to it. It's Zabrowka. Well, all right. Yeah. While they're enjoying their Zabrowka, Joe, do we have any business before we jump right into uh, today's country? You got anything? I, I have nothing. No. No. Nothing at all. I think we're still waiting for more results on our, on our um, Belgium poll. Yeah. So I we'll, mean... Keep that in the hopper a little bit. No offense to our super fans and our, especially our bandwagoners or our fjord jumpers, but people not really into responding to the poll questions. So, you know what, Joe? I'm I'm out on all of our fans. I, the problem is, no matter how much we insult them, they'll keep listening, and they're listening in droves. But I'm over them. I get in there and answer the goddamn poll questions. Is that too much to ask? I mean, it might help, Dan, if you actually created it as a poll. Does Reddit not have that option? Uh, no, they don't have that option. They're like okay. third-party add-ons. I mean, is it too much to type a word? I mean, we have fans across languages. I mean, you know, it, it's it, it's complicated. Ugh. Well, whatever. I'm over it, Joe. But you know what? We'll come up with a poll question and ask it by the end of this episode. All right, but Dan. Let's learn a little bit yeah, more let's about get this started. country. In a segment I like to call... A land handbook. It's going to be tough. It's also playing out loud. But look. The name of the people from this country. A Japanese. A group of Japanese who are all Japanese. It's a little tricky. A Japanese. Languages. Japanese. Religions. Shintoism. 80%. Buddhism. 67%. Christianity, 1.5%, other, 7%. And the capital city is, of course, Tokyo. So there you go. Apparently a lot of people, multiple religions, because those numbers did not add up to 100%. So Yeah, yeah, I got that. I mean, I guess you could be Buddhist and Shintoist as well. I mean, I don't know. Can you be? Is that allowed? Tony, Pam, you guys are smarter than us. Sorry, I'm just drinking this Zabrowska, uh, which I would describe as vodka uh, with a little splash of Sierra Mist. Hmm. That's sort of what oh, I'm interesting. Thinking. We well, should there... we should mix vodka and Sierra Mist and do a blind taste test. Tony, as our Buddhism expert, oh, can you be Buddhist and Shintoist? So doesn't know. I have I have no idea. I really I really have no idea. Uh, they seem like they wouldn't be incompatible. Uh, maybe it's like that. a 
maybe it's like a Jews for Jesus situation. It's like Shinto's for Buddha. <laughs> I hope that's not horribly offensive, Joe. But honestly, <laughs> I know who the Buddha is, but I don't know what Shintoism is or if there is a Shinto. It's 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 a lot of Asian religions are are, are more like there's spirits out there, uh, not any particular one god or any one thing, and so it's more about uh, praying to individual uh, gods and spirits, and so it doesn't seem incompatible to me. There you go. There All right, have it. Tony gives it the stamp of approval. I like it. Now, Joe. Uh, yeah. Do you, want to, do you want to guess the export, or do you want to talk more about Homeland Handbook, everybody's favorite segment? No, 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 no. I think, I mean, this is a tough one. I, I was thinking about this with Japan. So I think um, it's either cars, once again, because Toyota is a massive car company, and like they own Lexus and blah, 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 uh, or it's consumer electronics, because they make a shitload of those, too. Mm. Uh, I'm going to... I'm going to... Yeah, I'm just based on the history of what we learned from Homeland Handbook. I'm gonna say cars. All right, cars. Let's see. Joe, you crushed it. It is cars, and in fact, Japan is the second largest exporter of cars in the world, behind an unnamed country that I cannot reveal right now. Their total <laughs> car exports are over ninety billion dollars a year. So they are a massive, and it's not like some bullshit where they're exporting cars and then also importing cars like some other countries. Their net car exports are $80 billion. So they clearly, that's the problem with these Japanese cars. They last forever. So, you know, they're really just making them and exporting them. The ones they make internally, it's just, they last forever. Yeah, yeah. And you were dead right. The second largest export, it's a little confusing because of the way they categorize exports, but they bundled, they, they called it electronics slash machinery. So I don't know what exactly that is, but I, I think consumer electronics probably fit somewhere in there. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, look, I mean, this is definitely uh, I, a, a country that obviously, in terms of its exports, has been driving technology around the world for a long time. Yeah, once they opened up those borders, Joe, and just started slurping in the, the foreign technology. They never look back, man. Um, nope. All right. There are 32 countries in the World Cup. Yep. We've, we've named so many of them. They're, by process of elimination, you should be able to figure this out. Where does Japan rank on God. out of the 32? I would have such a better advantage in this category if I actually listened to our podcast so could like cross things off as I went. Um, Stop pretending you don't listen to the podcast, Joe. I don't. I don't. Uh, so I, I think Japan... Just by the fact that like Tokyo is a fucking huge city, and Kyoto is pretty big too, uh, is, is pretty big in terms of population. So I'm gonna, I think that they're top ten. Uh, so I'm gonna guess number four. I think they're high up there. Number four. I'm quite positive number four is already a team we did, but I don't remember which one it is because I don't have the spreadsheet open. But they're number five, Joe. Wow. 127 million people. They are the 11th biggest country in the world. I mean, for a little island nation, they're pretty damn big. They got a lot of people stuffed onto that island. So yeah, they're really they're, packed in there. But then there's also like a lot of countryside too. So it's like they, they, you know, they, you know, they still have some space there. They can grow. 
I mean, less than there used to be, if you catch my drift. <sighs> Fukushima. Yeah. I think that that population count uh, uh, includes uh, body pillows, though, too. So uh, <laughs> it's a little inflated. <laughs> All right. Let's keep it appropriate, Joe. They might take away your visa. <laughs> Anyways, there we go. We're in. Uh, let's let's uh, get into this. Let's talk about uh, their football team. Let's talk about their World Cup history. Let's talk about their road to qualification, their group, and then whether or not they're too good, too bad. So, Joe, I already talked about the World Cup history in the intro. They did not qualify for the World Cup until 1998. Then they qualified for five in a row, and then including this year. And in the five, you know, they've been okay uh, they haven't been great, but they made it out of the group twice. So, you know, all, all in all, not too bad. Of course, they hosted or jointly hosted the World Cup in 2002, and that was the first time they made it out of the group. But they still, they lost in their knockout round to Hungary 1-0. So that was disappointing for them. But uh, anyways, still pretty good. This year, the road to qualification, they are in the AFC, of course. And they were the second seed, so they were a top seed in the AFC, as you'd expect from a team that's qualified five times in a row. They were put in Group E with Syria, Singapore, Afghanistan, and Cambodia. And as you'd expect from a group with two countries currently engaging in civil wars, they won the group very easily with seven wins and one draw. So that moved them into the third round, which is similar to the United States HEX system, where there was six teams top two automatically qualified, then the third place team would play the third place team on the the other side of the hex. They were put with Saudi Arabia, Australia, United Arab Emirates, Iraq, and Thailand. They didn't necessarily have the best performance, but they it only took them nine games and they qualified with six wins, two draws, and one loss. So their 10th game was completely meaningless, which they did end up losing to Saudi Arabia, which was meaningless to Japan, but very meaningful to Saudi Arabia because it actually made Saudi Arabia qualify for the World Cup. So there are some shenanigans may have been involved in that match, but they were the second team out of the AFC to qualify, but the first one in their group. And of course, they won their group and made it into the World Cup. And where do they get put? Into Group H, a group we've covered thrice before. But we have not covered the fourth team, which we'll cover in our next episode. But their four teams are Colombia, Poland, Senegal, and, of course, Japan. The betting odds give Japan about a 31% chance to advance and has them as the worst team in the group. And with Colombia and Poland as 70% and 62% favorites. However, if you look at the 538 betting index... They have Japan much higher, and they have Poland much lower, and they have both Japan and Poland at about 50% chance to advance, and they have basically Colombia as the favorite, and second place in the group is a toss-up between Japan and Poland, with Senegal at around you know 35 to 40% chance, with also a really good chance. So this group is pretty wide open, e- even in the betting odds. You know, Japan is still thirty over thirty percent, and Colombia, the favorites, only seventy percent. So, really, anything could happen. And the final betting odds in the too good, too bad, their chance of making it out of the group again, based on the betting ads, based on the betting odds, is about a little over thirty-five percent. If we're sort of averaging that out with what five thirty-eight says, chance of making the quarterfinals a little over eleven percent. Chance of making the semifinals three and a half percent. Chance of making the finals a little over 1%, and 
and their chance of winning the whole damn thing about half a percent. So a bet of one Japanese yen would return 200 yen, and their overall odds are 200 to one. Yeah, I mean, I think this is actually kind of like a sneaky group of death. I mean, it, it's not quite a group of death, but it, it, it is a tough group uh, because it, it, it has sort of contenders top to bottom. Um, and, you know, Japan has a good chance of not making it out of the group at all. Uh, and, you know, maybe you can say that just, just their, their overall odds of winning the World Cup put them a little bit in the too bad camp. Um, I mean, not like they're terrible, but um, it, it could be a quick World Cup for Japan if they're not careful. Uh, and, I mean, honestly, I don't, I don't leave for Japan until the end of June, so they may already be out of it by the, by the time I get there. Oh, no. What's their schedule like? I mean, I have no idea. You're asking the wrong person. I don't know. Yeah, well, that's great research. So... They, they open against Colombia, so that's going to be their toughest match. Then they got Senegal in the middle, so that's must win. So that's on June 24th. And then their final match against Poland is June 28th. So Yeah, so they could be out of it by the time I get there. Yeah. Which, I mean, on one hand, there could be some pretty steep discounts on those Japan kits when I get there. It could be like 75% off. Yeah. Uh... uh yeah, no, that's interesting. So, first of all, that kind of means that, like, no matter what, whether Japan's a team that I pick or not, I'm going to be rooting for them to make it out of the group because I I would love to be in a country where a World Cup game is happening that the country's actually in the World Cup. Um, so, I I think they are a little too bad, but I'm going to give them a little nudge by the fact that, like, whether I pick them or not, I want them to make it out of the group. So let's say six and a half out of ten. Six and a half. Wow. I mean, one thing that's going to hurt is the other teams like Colombia. You're going to have a tough time picking Colombia as your team if that means you would have to root against Japan. Absolutely. Yeah. Oof. Yeah, no, it does make it harder for Colombia. That's going to hurt. Uh, that's going to be tough next week. They're going to have the, the South American headwind there. It's true. It's true. All right, Dan. Up next, Category 3. Wow, Category 3, Joe. Uh, I'll I'll call it Category 5, Food and Couponing. Wow. The food category for Japan, Joe. Have you been waiting for this? I mean, I already know the rating for it, but let's talk about it. Sure. Okay. From Superfan Fan Emeritus Emily. Japan has Groupon. The traditional cuisine of Japan, Washoku, is based on rice with miso soup and other dishes. Additionally, the country believes in having a diet based around fresh, seasonal products. In the 700s, the rise of Buddhism led to a ban on eating meat. Sushi, raw fish with rice, subsequently became popular as a result of this ban and is now known as the national dish. Additionally, the practice of eating a wide variety of vegetarian foods, which were typically served in small portions throughout the day. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Additionally, the practice of eating a wide variety of vegetarian foods, which were typically served in small portions throughout the day. All foods were divided into five color groups, green, red, yellow, white, and black, purple, and six tastes, bitter, sour, sweet, pungent, salty, and astringent. These traditions still remain today. Currently, side dishes often consist of fish, pickled vegetables, and vegetables cooked in broth. 
Seafood is common, often grilled, but also served raw as sashimi or in sushi. Seafood and vegetables are also deep fried in a white batter as tempura. Apart from rice, staples include noodles such as soba and udon are eaten regularly at meals. Japan also has stews such as fish products in broth called oden or beef in sukiyaki and nukujaga. Itadakimasu. Itadakimasu. Wow, whatever. It's like happy eating. Yeah, it means like I'm about to start my meal. That's hard to say. So every time you start a meal, you have to say... Say that more slowly. Itarakimasu. Itarakimasu? Yeah. Itarakimasu? Itarakimasu. So you don't say the U at the end? You don't. Itarakimasu. 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 Why are you saying it with an Italian accent, Dan? I don't know. (laughs) Well, the first three words of it are I-T-A, so it looks like Italy. Itarikamase. Yeah. <laughs> Why you not finish your sushi? Come on, itarikamase. Get to the sashimi. <laughs> oh, Dan, your accents are so bad. I, that's not an accent. I'm just trying to say the word. It's not an accent. He's really. Oh, are you done? Are you still reading? Or are you finished? No, that's it. It, um, okay. You know what? The funny thing about this is that there was actually a phonetic uh, addition to this note. <laughs> Atidakimas. It's a, there's a U at the end. Yeah, yeah. So he, he, he blew right by the phonetic note and, and still is Italian. All right, whatever. <laughs> Joe, what do you think uh, about the food of Japan? Well, I mean, I'm curious what Pam and Tony think, too. Uh, I mean, I would say, look, let me tell you three things about Japanese food. First of all, when we were in Japan, and this is why your sister's excited to go back, we had probably the best like meat, like steak, we've had anywhere in the world. So that's a very underrated feature of Japanese cuisine. Secondly, obviously the sushi is great. Not even worth talking about because it's obviously great and it is great. But Japan really, they have upped the vending machine game in a way that America just has not figured out. They have vending machines for ramen. They have vending machines with like, like – 800 different sodas. And those aren't like in a special vending machine museum. That's just like in every train station. It's incredible. The, the, the meat is, is really underrated. Um, but because Japan, you know, doesn't have that much landmass, every animal was treated with the utmost respect because you needed to sell it for a lot of money to return the investment of raising cattle which is why they needed to raise like the best, most fatty meat if you were going to eat a cow. Uh, and so that meat is incredible. And then the fish, you know, goes without saying, but of course the largest fish market in Japan is called Tsukiji right outside of Tokyo. You know, the largest fish market bring in fresh fish every day. And, you know, if you want uh, like the best meal that you ever have, you go to Tsukiji at like 8 a.m., which is considered late for them. And then you eat whatever isn't sold for the day, and they sell it to the sushi restaurants around the fish market, and it is the freshest, best fish that you'll ever have, and it's the stuff that they didn't sell to the restaurants that day. Now, is it like eating sushi at 8 a.m. weird? Because I consider sushi to be, I mean, I've had sushi for lunch, and I've had sushi for dinner, but I've never really had sushi for breakfast before. Yeah, if the sushi is of that quality, you really don't care what time of day it is, you know? And in fact, they've even created a, a a dish that we can order now. Uh, sometimes you see on Japanese restaurants called chirashi, 
which really literally means like leftover fish or like assorted fish that is not sold. Uh, and so if you order chirashi, it means a bunch of different kinds of fish. Uh, that started at the docks uh, at, you know, fish markets like Tsukiji, where whatever fish wasn't sold for that day, they would just create and put onto a bowl over rice. Mm. It's fantastic and delicious. And very quickly, you'll get over the fact that it's 8 in the morning and you're eating sushi because you just don't care. It is that good. Now, oh, go ahead, Joe. No, go ahead, Dan. Well, I was going to say, I just want to go around the room and with just giving a number without any further comment, I want everybody, you first, Joe, to say between 0 and 10, 0 being no guilt at all, 10 being extreme guilt, how guilty you feel that our sushi habits are completely pillaging the oceans and nobody will be able to eat tuna in like 30 years because they'll all be extinct. Joe, 0 to 10. Wait, a 0 is no guilt at all and a 10 is... Lots of guilt. Ten is like you feel so much guilt you don't eat sushi anymore. Okay. And you want me to go first? Yeah. I mean, it's like a negative five for me. (laughs) (laughs) Tony, where are you at? I'm like at two. Yeah, Pam? I'm at a zero. Zero? Oh, people are horrible. Yeah, I'm with Tony. I'm at a two. I feel bad, but I'm not going to stop. I mean, there's so many other things causing it, like overfishing, uh, you know, like Chinese people just cutting off shark fins for no reason because they like shark fins. I mean, I'm more focused on the like, like tuna in particular. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If if, if, if future future humans can't figure out how to bioengineer the fattiest, best tasting tunas in the entire world, shame on them. That's on them, not us. You know, this is the exact line of thinking people say about global warming. They're like, A, it doesn't exist, but if it did exist, somebody in the future will figure it out. You know, sometimes you just gotta... Again, I'm but bioengineered, But bioengineered meat is like, it's here. It exists. Like, like it's not theoretical anymore. We just haven't perfected it yet. So we should not be denying ourselves the pleasure of something that, that we can't have with, bio, with bioengineered meats and fishes uh, that future humans will have. They'll have the That's best. the exact same global warming argument, though. Just replace bioengineered food with they'll figure out the temperature issue. I mean, they probably will, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You know what? This is not going anywhere productive, Joe. <laughs> what, after your ultra hot take of negative five, negative, that means like you actively want to go on the fishing boat and just start killing tuna for fun and just like throwing just the carcasses yes. back yes. in the ocean. No, that means... That means that knowing that, that my sushi eating habits are depleting the tuna population actually makes me happier about it. <laughs> I prefer it that way. You're a monster. I, I, and your score is so low. If you actually add all our scores together, we're combined in the negative, thanks to you. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Our group, our group is happy with what's happening. This is, that's bad. Anyways, Joe, with, with that, where do you give this food from 0 to 10? <sighs> I mean, look, I mean... It, you know, there are many, many countries in the world that I've never been to, but our family is choosing to go back to Japan. And I would say that that decision is 90% based on food because uh, we had such a great culinary experience the last year. I mean, we, we, we had, without a doubt, the best meals of our life in Japan. Uh, and it was like meals, plural. It wasn't just one that we can point to. Uh, so I have to say 10 out of 10. Wow. 10 out of 10 joining Belgium 
which you gave a 10 out of 10, and Mexico, yeah. which you gave a 10 out of 10. I support all those three. Those are the three 10 out of 10s. There's not going to be any more for the rest of the podcast. That's it. All right. So that means Germany, Colombia, and Egypt, you know, you're fucked. No, it's, it's, it's oh. a fair score. I mean, if, if we're, we're talking about sushi as a category, we're talking about meat as a category, we haven't even gotten to ramen or, you know, noodles and other things that they've, you know, proliferated around the world. I, I, I feel 10 out of 10 is the only score you can give Japan. Yeah, I think it's a fair score. No complaints, Joe. I mean, your, your tuna take is scorching hot. <laughs> exactly like the temperature that the oceans are going to be in 30 years, but... Yes. Tuna-less the tunas, The tunas aren't going to survive that anyway. We might as well eat them now before they die a horrific death from the boiling oceans. Yeah, that's a fair point. Actually, I actually feel the Belgium <laughs> score is a little high. I mean, how hard is it to fry some potatoes up, you know? Like, what, what is that contribution, right? Somebody would have figured that out eventually. Yeah, but Belgium is this tiny country, and, and, you know, they gave us waffles and french fries and, I mean, you know, I have to assume Brussels sprouts, so I don't know for sure. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, the Japanese sushi is a completely unique preservation of a different kind of fish and and a bunch of different kinds of fish. I feel like it's more innovative. Worthy of a 10. Yeah, Tony, they got a 10 out of 10. Stop lobbying. He's trying to insult. I'm actually just trying to bring shade to Belgium because I was robbed. (laughs) He was robbed in Belgium, yes. That was. Bad. I will factor. I will factor that into Belgium's. Uh, you know, uh, I mean, they they directly assaulted one of our super fans. That you know, yeah, that, yeah, that must be reckoned. If, if memory serves me correctly, they stole a suitcase that was full of like dirty laundry, yeah, like dirty laundry, and like your uh, your glasses. Yeah, something that would be <laughs> worth nothing to them, but worth so much to you. It, it was it was the worst of all worlds, and and actually, I have to say, they were very sophisticated about it. Somebody threw a firecracker in yeah. one direction, and then uh, that created a diversion for the rest of the street street thugs to uh, take my suitcase down into the oh my subway. So station. you were just you weren't just robbed. You were like you were heisted. That was yeah. like a that was a planned no, operation. It was well coordinated. There were there were probably like four or five people involved in this uh, 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 interaction, and it there really was like a there was like a Belgian version of Ocean's Eleven where they were scheming. They're like okay. What team are we putting together? We need the munitions expert. We need the body right. man. We need the yeah. Wow, they had a whole crew. And I was right next to Tony yeah. at the time, yeah. so like they they hoodwinked. I mean, it really was the type of thing where the firecracker went off. We were confused. We we're like looking around, wondering what's going on, and then we like looked down and the street, which had like tons of people, it was like vacant, and Tony's suitcase was just gone. <laughs> was there something about your suitcase in particular that 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 was like appetizing to the Belgian? Was it, was it like was it handcuffed to your wrist at the time? Did, did, like, would they have thought that there was something valuable in it? There was nothing distinguishable and nothing valuable in it. It really was the worst of everything because they took all my underwear. The Belgians took my underwear. And your glasses. I and remember my glasses. You, like, couldn't yes, see for the I couldn't rest of the see time. for the rest. I, I was literally squinting my way through Europe for the rest of the Oh, time. that's – I mean there's a very disappointed Belgiumese thief out there somewhere. That's yeah, right. They should have given it back. That would have been the, the polite thing to do. So – Fried potatoes, someone would have figured that out. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Dan, category seven. Category seven. All right. Well, let's just get right into it. In my intro, I yada yada a few things, and uh, well, Josh PhD is not going to. Atrocities. He says World War II was bad. The occupation of China and Korea brought murder, sexual violence, and even chemical and biological experimentation on humans. Since then, Japan has been relatively well-behaved. 
The problem is that they aren't particularly apologetic about what went down. There have been a few tepidly worded statements of remorse or regret, but nothing even close to the kind of atonement Germany has made. Even the teaching of history to Japanese school students leaves much to be desired, which is not only a moral issue, but a present-day political one. Past atrocities still shape geopolitical tensions in the region. Not to mention Japan still has an extremely controversial war memorial, the Yasukuni Shrine, which celebrates the country's war heroes. Just don't... You can fix it later. The Yasukuni Shrine, which celebrates the country's war heroes generally, but includes the names of roughly a thousand convicted war criminals. Prime ministers used to visit regularly, though in the past 10 to 15 years, prime ministers have avoided official visits, which is an encouraging sign. Overall, Japan is pretty bad on historical atrocities, but they aren't getting much credit for feeling bad about it. Atrocity level, pretty, pretty, pretty bad. Yeah, that's not good. I will say, you know, when I was in, uh, when I was in Japan, uh, we went to the museum at Hiroshima. And I, I, I recommend anyone going, you know, should go there. It's like obviously good to like reckon with what it means to have a nuclear arsenal and sort of the like geopolitical responsibility and like horrors of that. And uh, America's obviously their role in, in having that. But it was interesting also the way that the this Japanese museum framed World War II, which they, in all, in everything in the museum, they called the like, I don't maybe Tony knows uh, or Pam knows that like they called it like the war of Pacific aggression or something like that. Like they had a very like, you know, different like take on it. And, and, and their whole take on it was, well, the U S had spent millions to develop the nuclear weapons and felt the need to like use them to justify the cost. I mean, there's, that was like on like a placard in the museum. And I was like, well, I mean, you know, not to excuse the U.S.'s role in, I mean, obviously dropping two nuclear bombs is a fucking terrible thing. But, like, you know, Japan had a part in that war, too. And and and, and the museum definitely yada yada that, for sure. Yeah, Pearl Harbor was sort of an important, uh, important thing that Japan didn't really have to do. Yeah, I mean, it is interesting just that, like, and, and, and we'll talk about Germany in a few episodes, but... Um, these atrocities are fairly recent and you do want to see some, uh, some atonement for it. I mean, we talked about this with Belgium just last week that like there hasn't been, you know, official acknowledgements of, of Belgium's own, uh, um, uh, atrocities and, and Japan, I think seems like they go out of their way to, to avoid recognition of them. I think, I think what you're talking about too, is this, idea of like you know when you were talking about belgium is like there's the bad colonialism and uh japan really took over a lot of territory and uh tried to impose their culture on those people and uh didn't allow like people of the places that they were colonizing to to practice anything else except for japanese culture so there's this active imposition uh in addition to uh, taking over, taking over their land. So Korea, Taiwan, China, and and all those other places for a very long period of time, and that's happening in the 1900s, right? Most of the colonialism we think about, you know, maybe uh, before that, but they were still doing that uh, until very, very recently. Yeah, and you know what's interesting is like culturally, Japan kind of gets like a break on 
on World War II for not being like quite as despicable as the Nazis. I mean, like if you think about like an Indiana Jones movie, right? Like if if Indiana Jones blows up a warehouse and he's like, oh man, there were like 3,000 Nazis in there. Like no audience member feels bad about that. They're all like, oh good, he killed 3,000 Nazis. Go Indiana Jones. But like if it was 3,000 Japanese people, I think people would be like, ooh, should he have killed them all? Like were they all bad people? Like I feel like, I feel like Japan kind of gets a break. Well, not the people that were put in internment camps, but, uh, yeah. I, I mean, the, well, the, the stuff about experimentation... We're not talking about American atrocities, yeah. though. The stuff about experimentation is, like, horrifying stuff. Like, they were, they were like, doing... Trying to, like, push the human body to, like, its extremes. And, I mean, the one aspect of it... And I know there are people who are, like, experts on this, and I'm not. But I, I saw that the people were, like, caught, and they were, like... They basically got a deal where, like, if they shared the research just for the, like, to to make something of these, like, horrible, horrifying experiments that were done, you know, certain people would be, like, spared or something. But it was just horrible, horrible stuff where they were just, like, just torturing tons and tons of people for the sake of experimentation, which is it's really, really, really bad. Like, at least killing people is one thing, but just, like, torturing humans... Is bad. I mean, it, it says something about Josh's narrative that, you know, he didn't mention the rape of Nanking, which is the Japanese atrocity against against China, uh, where they basically took over the country and then, uh, you know, executed, you know, an event that, again, in Japanese history books is not really mentioned that much, but basically just murdering and raping and pillaging an entire region of people. Uh Which says nothing about what they did to the Korean Peninsula and also uh, Taiwan when they were occupying it. And so it's good George Steinbrenner impression, Dave. <laughs> pretty, pretty, pretty bad. All right. Well, okay. So, so Japan is basically like the Germany of Asia. I mean, it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So that's not good. So, so just to recap where we are so far, Japanese food good, Japanese historic behavior bad. We're, we're and not to put those two things on equal on on an equal playing field, but we're just we're just recapping this episode thus far. I, I gotta say, zero out of ten. Come on, zero Joe. out of ten. Oof. All right, it's a fair score though, Joe. It's a fair score. Uh, maybe they can. Uh, maybe we can find a more positive category. I think that's that's going to be their worst category. I have to say, hopefully. I should hope so. Yeah. Uh, okay, Dan. Let's see what's coming up is category ten. All right, category ten. Well, we don't do that one anymore. Okay. Well, so so to take that out, we're doing. I should learn this by the end. Uh, category nine. Category 9. Ooh, we do do that. So that is System of Government, Head of State. So it's super fans, Bez and Ryan, but I don't think we got the Head of State, so I think we're just doing System of Government. But you know what? Good for Ryan anyways. He was awesome, this whole podcast. We burned him out, Joe. He's, I don't know what the opposite of the fjord jumper is. He was, like, on the fjord the whole time, and then, like, he just got sick of it and just, like, I don't know. He just he collapsed from exhaustion and fell down. He's... He's floating away on an ice cap, down down a strait. Yeah, well, <laughs> that's good. Right on the strait, right to, 
you know, of course, our religion has its uh, heaven. Our heaven is definitely accessible via a strait. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, you go through, uh, through a strait over a ford. You know, there's, there's no canals involved. Just straits yeah. all the way. Yeah, absolutely. So, system of government. The politics of Japan is a parliamentary represent parliamentary damn it. parliamentary representative democratic constitutional monarchy. All right. So, rinse and repeat. Parliamentary representative democratic constitutional monarchy, whereby the emperor acts as a ceremonial head of state and the prime minister is the head of government. Legislative power is vested in a national diet. Mm-hmm. Wow. Which consists of the House of Representatives and yes, Joe, no, no, not the Senate. And the House of Counselors. The House of Representatives and the House of Counselors. The Constitution of Japan defines the Emperor to be, quote, the symbol of the state and the unity of the people. He performs ceremonial duties and holds no real power. Political power is held mainly by the Prime Minister and other elected members of the Diet. The Imperial Throne is succeeded by a member of the Imperial House as designated by the Imperial Household Law. The chief of the executive branch, the prime minister, is appointed by the emperor as directed by the Diet. He is a member of either house of the Diet and must be a civilian. The cabinet members are nominated by the prime minister and also are required to be civilian. With the Liberal Democratic Party, the LDP, in power, it has been the convention that the president of the party serves as a prime minister. Japan has the world's third largest economy, having achieved remarkable growth in the second half of the 20th century after the devastation of the Second World War. Its role in the international community is considerable. It's a major aid donor and a source of global capital and credit. More than three-quarters of the population lives in sprawling cities on the coastal fringes of of Japan's four mountainous, heavily wooded islands. Japan's rapid post-war expansion, propelled by highly successful car and consumer electronics industries, ran out of steam by the 1990s under a mounting debt burden that successive governments have failed to address. Japan's relations with its neighbors are still heavily influenced by the legacy of Japanese actions before and during the Second World War. Japan has found it difficult to accept and atone for its treatment of the citizens of countries it occupied. Emperor Akihito, who has been emperor since 1989, has no political power but has played an important role in working to heal the wounds of a war waged across Asia in his own father's name. His father, Emperor Hirohito, who reigned between 1926 and 1989, was once revered as divine, but transformed after Japan's defeat to promote peace and democracy. In 2016, the emperor indicated that he wished to abdicate out of concern he may be unable to carry out his duties because of old age. He's expected to give up his throne in late 2018 when he'll be succeeded by his elder son, Crown Prince Naruhito. Shinzo Abe became became Japan's prime minister in 2012 after his Liberal Democratic Party's landslide electoral win. He gained new terms in 2014 and 2017. His focus has been on a series of measures known as Abenomics aimed at boosting Japan's struggling economy. Mr. Abe said he wants to amend Japan's post-war pacifist constitution, in particular the war-renouncing Article 9, a goal that has prompted sharp criticism from China. His strong performance in the 2017 elections provided him the political support he needs to change the constitution. He previously served as prime minister in 2006 and 2007, but quit after a series of scandals involving his ministers. There is nearly no crime in Japan, with the lowest murder rate in the world. This is mainly due to the huge numbers of police employed by the state. However, with little to do, be sure not to commit even the smallest of transgressions, as the police crack down harshly on even the most innocent of crimes. 
Wow. Yeah, I mean, I appreciate the warning, Biz. Uh, I mean, Dan, you know I, lo I love a good constitutional monarchy. But this is our first, as far as I recall, our first emperor on this podcast. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, how many emperors are there in the world? I have no idea. Tony, Pam? I think just Japan. Just Japan. It's got to be one. So that's the I – mean, I mean – doesn't everything sound, sound better if it's an emperor? Like, I'd much rather be an emperor than a king. Well, they still call it a monarchy. I guess emperor counts as a monarch? There's no power, so... Yeah, I mean, look, it's still a constitutional monarchy. He still has no actual power, but I'm just saying, just the term emperor, and maybe it's just because of Star Wars, it just sounds way more <laughs> badass. <laughs> Yeah, uh, look, I'm with you there. But, I, I mean, I think Emperor probably in the pre-Star Wars era was, like, better. I mean, now it it does, for any Star Wars fan, like, the Emperor, no matter what ever happens in Star Wars, like, if they did a different type of Star Wars that was either in the future or the past and there was an Emperor, your automatic assumption would be, like, this Emperor is A, evil, and B, a Sith Lord. Although the last time I heard well, yeah. the word Emperor, of course, is the Emperor has no clothes, so... Uh, you know, contemporarily, it probably hasn't aged well. This emperor has no clothes. Yeah, it's still not good. It's like, like what, what's a positive emperor? Well, I mean, I assume that, like, we're getting sort of one side of the story with Star Wars. That there were people who were, like, good people who were emperor loyalists who were like, yeah, I appreciate the, like, law and order mentality. He's really cracked down on 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 littering in my community or whatever like you know there are probably just people who were pro-emperor for for pretty good like mundane everyday reasons yeah well look the emperor he did bring order to the galaxy for sure you know it's the the rebels clearly they were up to no good they were messing with the status quo but you know i don't know i mean frankly i think the jedi clearly had some problems too so i i agree that I just feel like the Emperor wasn't quite the, like... The Emperor was pretty bad, though. Like, maybe Darth Vader could have been, like, a good Emperor had he... Yeah, no, I mean, I think... I I I do think that the Emperor lacked some sort of personal charisma in his leadership style. I mean, you know, if we want to talk new Star Wars, I feel like, uh, you know... You know, Snoke has a good, like, dry wit that probably could have gone over well with people. Like, people like that sort of, like, no-bullshit mentality out there. I mean, look at, like all the Donald Trump stuff, right? People, you know, sort of connect with that. Yeah. But, um, but I, I agree that the emperor just personally left something to be desired. But had he been King Palpatine, that'd be like, people would be like, what? He's a King. Like it, it just doesn't have the same resonance as emperor. Yeah. And you know, here's a little factoid about star Wars that you might not know. Do you know why Snoke projected himself to be so big, Joe? No. Why? He was concerned that people thought he had small hands, so he invented that whole projecting thing just so his yes. hands would be so big. I mean, if you are a 30-foot projection, no one's talking about your hand size. I know. He's like, it's look, hard. these are look at these hands. These are really big hands. It's great diversion. Great yeah. diversion. Yeah. Uh, classic sleight of hand. Uh, look, I think... And actually, the last time I was in Japan, there was an election. 
I didn't really understand anything that was going on, but there were like signs everywhere and people, you know, they did the thing that like doesn't really happen in America anymore. Um, as far as I know, I don't live in a swing state, but like there would be like, um, vans driving around with campaign signs on it and like a loudspeaker on top and, and like someone talking about like why you should support whatever local candidate. Oh yeah. Asian democracy is incredible. Uh, they do that in, in Taiwan, uh, and they hand out like piece, like tissue paper, like little packs of tissue paper. And that's the thing that convinces people to vote for them. But yeah, you go around literally in the vans and you shout to people like slogans and things like that. I mean, you live in a swing state, too. Does that ever happen in the great state of Ohio? Uh, no. Oh, all right. <laughs> it's, so no one's driving I, around Cincinnati being like, vote, vote Clinton, stronger together. Heavily, heavily gentrified. No, no, there's not. No. Damn it. I mean, I feel like we should bring it back. I mean, look, you know, in this day and age, it's harder and harder to contact voters. People are, people are, are a fractured audience. You know, there's a lot of good rules uh, from other countries we should adopt. In, in Taiwan, there's a rule that you are not allowed to campaign for seven days before the election. And no polls are allowed to be published seven days before the election. Mm. Ooh. How would that have impacted the Comey letter? Would, would that yeah, still have been exactly. allowed? Exactly. There'd be a hard stop. There's no news and no polls. And you're not allowed to campaign. You just have to stop. People are sick of it. You're done. Yeah, that right. Comey letter was definitely campaigning. God damn Comey. No, no more vans with megaphones for the seven days. You get seven days of quiet before your election. Yeah. Out. Wait, do we... Do we hate Comey now or like Comey? Uh, we're still we're out on Comey. I've never been so conflicted about a public figure before. Yeah, I'm done with Comey. But anyways, Joe, let's not have this great podcast we have. Well, let's not delve into well, politics. Well, I, I do, I do want to say one more thing about uh, 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 Shinzo Abe, who uh, is the current prime minister of Japan. Uh, he is kind of one of the leaders of this whole Japanese revisionist history thing. Uh, so he's one of the ones who's strongly promoting uh, changing Japanese textbooks to erase uh, stuff from the atrocity section uh, and sort of denying the role that Japan played in uh, certain atrocities. One of them being uh, Comfort Women, which is where they took uh, young Korean women uh, to uh, be sexual prostitutes for the Japanese army. And so he's denying a lot of these things. So uh, he's one of the people who's you know, was one of the parties that is strongly denying and revising textbooks to sort of downplay the role of uh, Japan in other countries. So, uh, yes. Let me ask you this, Tony. Yeah. Let me ask you this. Do you think that textbook debates matter as much as they used to now that the world has uh, the internet and Wikipedia? Like, like, I mean, you know, there's all, these people talk about like the Texas textbook and like, they would like be all, you know, they would be abstinence only textbooks or they would, uh, you know, not mention Darwinism and mention creationism instead or whatever. Like, is that where young people get their information now? Do textbooks um, matter? Yeah, I, I think so, particularly when it comes to learning your country's history, right? Like, uh, think about, you know, you want to believe that your country is good. You want to believe that, you know, your country get, did good things. And so if early on you learn that your country is exceptional and that, you know, these versions of events never happened and you were on the right side of history... Uh, that makes it very, very difficult later on in life to accept countervailing information or at least, you know, understand that there's two sides of, of this, right? And so, yeah, I, I think the textbooks are hugely important, even in American history, where 
you know, we don't learn nearly enough about Native American history. We don't learn nearly enough about uh, slavery and civil rights to sort of gloss over those things. Uh, if that, you know, if you, if, if imagine U.S. history just erased those things, right, or only told one side of those things, that has huge implications for how people think about the country and, and think about the world later on. So I, I actually think the textbook thing is, is more important than whether, you know, the government officially says one thing or another. One of the reasons they're choosing not to apologize is so they can continue to uh, take the stance in the textbooks. This never happened. All right. I'm sold. I'm sold. I'm more concerned about the textbooks now than the tuna. You've convinced me. All right. Uh, yeah, yeah. Wait, wait, uh, uh, what are we rating now? System of government. Although it seems like some atrocities have been sprinkled head in Head of state. Here. Head of state. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and head of state. Uh, That's true. It's true. Fair enough. Yeah, I like a good, I like a good constitutional monarchy. I, I feel fine about the system of government. Six out of ten. Six out of ten. All right. All right, Dan. Oh, look at this. Joker. How exciting, Joe! I will. I will cede my pick to our to our guest today. What category would they like to talk about? I only know about category eleven because that's my own category. Ah, boom! Let's do it. All right, category eleven. And you know what? This would be great. Tony, take it over. Take it over. You know, Joe. I know you were pining for some really old anthems. So here you go. Kimigayo, His Imperial Majesty's Reign, is the national anthem of Japan. Its lyrics are amongst the oldest uh, in the world, and with a length of 11 measures and 32 characters, Kimigayo is also one of the world's shortest. Its lyrics are from a waka poem written in the Heian period, 794 to 1185. The current melody was chosen in 1880. The Lyrics this is one of the shortest anthems, so I'll include all of the lyrics. May your reign continue for a thousand, eight thousand generations until the pebbles grow into border, boulders lush with moss. Fun facts. It's old. Uh, not so fun facts. It is incredibly controversial because Japan never renounced its World War II meaning and militarism and worshipping the emperor. And the Japanese government requires public schools and school teachers to sing it every day out of respect for national symbols. If you think America has national anthem problems, from Alex Marshall, all anthems stir up controversy at some point, but no matter how heated such controversies get, none come close to that around Kimigayo. It is conflict that has been going on in Japanese schools for over 70 years. Teachers have lost jobs because of it. They've received death threats because of it. Since 2003, 500 teachers have been disciplined for refusing to sing and stand. The law and punishments have gone to the Supreme Court. And yes, a vice principal, Toshihiro Ishikawa, committed suicide because of it. So now we have a crossover. Anthems and atrocities categories united. Seems like atrocities is getting sprinkled into every category. (laughs) Every category has an atrocity, including the food. (laughs) Yeah, it's true. All right, Joe? Yeah, let's hear it. You ready for this? Should I, should I stand? I don't want to be put in jail. Yeah, you better I mean, practice. We're, we're all standing and drinking sake. Practice. Uh, all right. Drinking sake is also all right, necessary. All right, all right. Listeners, should we be assured? We're standing. We're being respectful. 
There's but nothing untoward going on right now. As Tony said, well, something, Tony is pouring more sake while we're supposed to be standing. Uh, this is the shortest anthem by far. A minute and 13 okay. seconds. A, a scant 73 seconds. So really focus in. is short surgical yeah they really don't very efficient uh anthem for sure um but you know i mean not 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 really my cup of tea musically i'll be honest it's it's interesting because i was um looking at something that was like rating the best anthems because i actually think that you and i and all the podcast listeners we probably now know more about the national anthems of, like, the world than 99.9% of people. And yes. I wanted to see what they thought were the top anthems in the world. And Russia always came up very towards the top of the list. France always came up towards the top of the list. Uruguay, by the way, nowhere to be seen. People out in the world That's do fucking not respect. crazy, by the way. They don't respect yeah. the, the, the South American anthems at all. We respect them more. But it had Japan really up there and i had i intentionally didn't listen to it and i was going to save it for this episode i'm a i'm diso i don't know why this is so high on the list i mean what what's so great about that anthem it's old it's from I, the 700s i mean i think i think that's the thing is that we we think about our countries or we want to think about these countries as being you know so having such history and Japan actually does, and it recognizes it through a song that has been sung or a, a poem that has been passed down for that many years uh, and that many generations. Uh, so, you know, of course, Joe's musical taste may not correspond to that of the 700s. I don't think any of ours does. But I think the reason why it makes it to the top of these lists is because it is unique for that reason. It is one of the oldest. But I'd also like to note that this poem that it's based on that was written like a thousand years ago has some major scientific inaccuracies. Pebbles don't grow into boulders. Boulders break apart and then those little pieces erode and become pebbles. It doesn't work the other way around. You know, in defense of this poem, uh, it actually has accomplished the goal that it's wanting to do. It's that uh, it has lived over thousands of generations and passed down. But it's just uh, spreading fake news for centuries. No, but Dan, no, no, Dan, I think that's the point. It's like, it's like in Game of Thrones when that, when that witch curses Daenerys and says you won't bear children until the sun 
rises in the West. The sun will ne- like that. That is not what what happens. It's saying that this emperor is going to reign until pebbles become boulders, which doesn't happen. That's the point. That he'll reign forever. Well, if that's correct, then this person just got me from a thousand years that's ago, right. which that's is really it. you've been hoodwinked from the year seven hundred. God damn it! <laughs> Fucking Japan. Yeah. Uh, but look, I mean, look, it is cool that it's old. No question about it. Uh, and, and we want history. I mean, like, look, those anthems that we have that were written like 40 years ago, no interest in those. Um, you know, but like, could it have killed them in 700 to put like a good, like, you know, like a nice, like house beat behind it? Like it didn't like, really have like a lot of musical. They had the drums in there like one time and I was like, oh, here come the drums. And then it was like, nope, it was just like three drums and then they're out. I mean, this is basically the haiku version of God Save the Queen, right? <laughs> May the emperor reign yeah. until pebbles yeah. become boulders. But, but put some like drums in there. Get something. Uh, Get some action. You know, maybe maybe all the songs, you know, promoting a queen or an emperor are just not that interesting. Now, here's a question, Tony. Uh, if there were an empress instead of an emperor, would they change it? Like, God save the king slash queen? Yes, definitely. Uh, may the empress reign for a thousand years until pebbles turn into boulders. Got it. Okay, okay. Uh, so Tony, I mean, this is your category. What would you rate this? This is a tough one. Uh, Pam's giving the thumbs it, down. Wow, Pam really don't, just don't, don't Tony. Try, try, try not to think about the atrocities when we talk about this anthem. Yeah, yeah, that's that. You got to separate that because the enforcement of an anthem shouldn't really downplay the anthem itself. Uh, this sounds like a, a Japanese song. It's closely related to uh you know their system of government and it is very old six out of ten six out of ten okay i'll take it i think it's a little generous but i will give props for being so short that is nice it's bad but at least it's in and out some of them are bad for a long time dan let me ask you this question going back to homeland handbook do you think that you could be a practicing um uh, a devout Joe Picks Potism follower and also a Buddhist? Well, we we talked about it last week that you had to renounce your other religions, but I think I think Buddhism you can just add on to anything. So I think I'll allow it. I think we're compatible with Buddhism, but but only Buddhism. Yeah. But if 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 there are any strictures, you know, um any conflicts they should default to Joe Pick's Potism. It, it should be, you know, that the Buddhism is a sub-philosophy. Yeah, I think our two main figures in our religion were fine with the Buddha, but on equal footing with the Buddha is Joe. So, because the Buddha has what? Infinite wisdom and patience. And Joe has a nice head I'm pretty hair. good at picking stuff, yeah. No, but the Buddha has no hair, right? The Buddha is bald. You know what? It's I'm true. I'm going to make the next Joe Picks Pot Trophy Joe statue with uh, Buddha with Joe hair on it. I mean, that is the ultimate. Oh, that be... That's your deity. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Every 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 practitioner of Joe Picks Potism should be worshipping that. That's right. That's right. I'm all in. Look, that I, what deity, what, what more could you ask for? Because you know what? I'll tell you one of the reasons Jesus is so popular, that head of hair. If he didn't, if he Jesus was bald, do you think anybody would follow his religion? Absolutely not. Oh, he'd have like three apostles max. 
He, he would have nobody. He, he'd be a loser. He'd be like one of those uh, incels that's that's all the rage these days. God, this podcast is really yeah. going bad places. But it's all about that head of hair. And I think the Buddha, again, what with the infinite wisdom and whatever, the everything. The What else did Buddha have? He's got everything, right? Jolliness. Yeah, very jolly. I mean, the Buddha is, is just... Based on how the Buddha looks, like, you knew the Buddha had an awesome personality. Like, everybody wants to hang out with the Buddha. Definitely. Oh, I totally would have hung out with Buddha. Like, Jesus, Absolutely. give me a break. Like, Jesus was just a guy with a head of hair that people just, you know, he, he's like a posthumous uh, hero, you know. But a great head of hair, though. Great head of hair. Cut. All right, Dan, category six. Category six. All right, Joe. That is... Fan culture. Super fan Yannick. He says, this was the only time he was banned from a subreddit. Just like the police. He was banned? In Japan. Why? Wow. Atrocities. They do not, <laughs> they do not let anything fly. He I broke a rule. He broke a rule in the subreddit, I'm it's sure. That, it's a Japanese isolationism. They don't want anyone from outside the subreddit in the subreddit. Wait, but that's like our subreddit too, where we where we pick up things from every country we we re, we study. Because it's Joe, true. much like them, we're worried that with this influx of foreigners, they might overthrow us and make their own podcast, which is like much better and much more popular. It is. It's a. It, that's one hundred percent what's going to happen. He says he didn't get any replies, and a mod found it was inappropriate to ask Japanese fans to give their perspective on the fan culture, so he can only offer his. The team's nickname is Samurai Blue. Japanese fans cheer, uh, really cheer for their team by painting their face funny. All of them are very cute. Kawaii. 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 Kawaii when they're winning. Sadly, they... Thank you. I was like, what, do, what could that possibly mean? Sadly, uh, while in the World Cup, they lose a lot. But hey, the Japanese people are all right. Upright. Which one makes more sense there? Upright. Upright. What does that make any sense? Anyways, after a loss in the 2014 World Cup, they cleaned up their area in the stadium. Isn't that nice? They scream, Nippon Ole, according to Wikipedia. They're rivals, Australia, because they clashed often in the last few years. Japanese and Chinese seem not to come along well either. Also, South Korea is a rival, it seems. Even though they hosted the World Cup together. Wow. They used to have Pikachu as their official team mascot, and as a kid, I liked to watch the anime show Captain Tsubasa. One series, if the anime showed the Japanese team on their road to the 2002 World Cup. And I read they had a new series showing the road to the 2018 World Cup, including Messi, oh my god, my birthday brother Ronaldo, and his big fan, Neuer, the great, I mean, greatest goalie of all time. So he says, we, we all gotta watch that. I mean, if we were watching that, we'd learn way more about the World Cup than this podcast. That's for sure. So that is the the fan culture, which, again, due to their isolationism, you know, he had to, to, to sort of figure it out from an outsider perspective. We don't actually know what the insider perspective is like. And I know that Tony loves it when we talk about uh, the kit. But looking at this Japanese kit, it's great. It's a great kit. I can't wait to buy this in Japan. Uh, at, at, my uh, favorite thing, massive discount, ninety percent off. Yeah, exactly. My favorite thing is that is that this kit has um, 
So, you know, the Japanese flag has the red circle. Yeah, the rising sun. It's one of the most iconic flags in the world. It's definitely a top 10 flag. So the crest on the flag has a bird. I'm not sure what kind of bird. But he has the red circle, and he's, it, he's using the red circle like a soccer ball, like he's holding the red circle. Wow. So they've taken their, their flag, and they've incorporated it into the crest as a soccer ball. It's great. I mean, the flag is the, – the thing is, like, the flag is one of the few flags that, like, could be a soccer ball. Like, you could just cut the ball out of the flag. Boom. You got yourself a ball. I mean, no other flag is. Is there any other flag with a round thing like that? Tony, Pam, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. They're too busy. They're deciding what they're going to drink next. Uh, I have to say one thing, uh, a couple things about the fan culture. Uh, One is that I believe the the fans do not just clean up their own area of the stadium. They clean up the whole stadium. Wow. Uh, I think they also clean up after every game. Correct. So, Joe, that's what you're signing up for. Uh, is spending a couple hours afterwards picking up the trash in the stadium. Do you think they do that because they're like, maybe if we don't qualify, FIFA will just let us in because we're like so nice? Yeah. Very, very polite. If you take all the, like, the hamburger and hot dog wrappers in the whole stadium and fold them into origami swans and like just like <laughs> send them adrift, people people are going to be impressed with that. Yeah, that'd yeah. be cool. Yeah, you, you bring yeah. them to the World Cup just so you save on janitorial costs. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, th- I mean, look, this is a nice fan culture. I like the kit. I like the chant, Dan. And look, I like a tidy fan. That's nice. If you said on two ends of the spectrum, one fan culture, they're going to clean up after themselves and everyone else and probably fold origami swans. The other end of the spectrum, they're just going to be, you know, disheveled and throw shit everywhere. I'm, I- I'm going to pick the tidy fans. I like it. Yeah, this is not England. <laughs> This is probably the opposite of it. The ironic part about that whole statement, Joe, is I've gone to movies with you, and you, your seat and everything around it is just piles of popcorn and whatever. You you take advantage of it. And when you go to supermarkets, you intentionally put your cart in, like, the most inconvenient spot, and you say, you say you're creating jobs by doing so. Yeah, I'm a job creator. You know, those are good union jobs, and... And if I'm if I'm bringing my own cart back or picking up after myself, that's someone's job that I'm taking. That's what the Japanese Absolutely. are doing, Joe. They are taking our jobs. <laughs> You're right. You're right. God damn it. Backed you into a corner there, Joe, didn't I? There's a there's a Russian janitor who's at home who's like, Why 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 did they lay me off during the Japanese games? The, and the South the Africa. Russians are known for their strong unions, Joe. Absolutely. Um, no, look, I like this fan culture. Seven and a half out of ten. The only country that's known more for its worker rights than Russia is, of course, Qatar. <laughs> Seven and a half out of ten, Dan. All right, two categories okay. left, Joe. Player to watch and celebrities. Category four. Player to watch. All right. Joe, the player to watch is none other did you know that there was a Japanese player on the, on the Tottenham squad? No, who's a Japanese player? No, that was a lie. It's just not on the Tottenham <laughs> yeah. squad. Yeah, I was like, I'm pretty sure I would know that. Yeah, this is a trick. We have a Korean player, my favorite player, Son. I know, I know. But this is not Son. He is Yoshinori Muto, 
who plays on FC Mines 05. He is 25 years old. So, of course, this is all from super fan, fan emeritus David, PhD, good friend of Tony, PhD. They got their PhDs together. They Correct. Well, they, they work together. You both were at Temple. No. <laughs> he was in Philadelphia. Yes. All right. Well, whatever. Did you work adjacent to each other? He's at uh, Rutgers Camden. I was working at Temple. Uh, he was a postdoc at Cornell when I was getting my PhD there. Oh, well, give me a break. Dan, 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 how dare you? Give, oh, how dare you? Getting his postdoc, uh, you know what? His PhD. Anyways, I'm being vilified here that we're not bringing atrocities back into this. FC Mainz 05, I'm assuming, is something in the Bundesliga, but I don't know. It doesn't, that, doesn't that sound German? Yeah, that's a Bundesliga. Yep, yep, it is. What a surprise, David. Anyways, Yoshinori Muto, striker. The Japanese team is built on experience. All the stars like Shinji, Kaga, Kaga, Kagawa, Kaisuke, Honda, and Shinji Okazaki are in their late 20s, early 30s. One offensive player that is a bit younger and has the potential to make an impact is Yoshinori Muto. He has good positioning, decent technical skills, and a fine ability to finish. He scored eight goals and assisted four goals in 27 Bundesliga appearances for Mines this season. For Japan, he scored twice in 21 appearances since his debut in 2014. Recently, he openly talked about his dream to transfer to a Premier League team. Ah. And Joe, he's none other than your favorite, second favorite team, West Ham. They're supposedly the number one contender. Oh, I hate West Ham. Oh, all right. Well, well, you hate Liverpool more than you hate West Ham. <laughs> yeah, what does that have to do with it? Yeah. I mean, there are a lot of teams that I hate more than West Ham, but I also hate West Ham. You know, Joe, what's a team you like other than Tottenham? Uh, I like Swansea a little bit. I like uh, Bournemouth. All right. Is there any... Did, did you like Leicester? No. Fuck Leicester. Yeah. Well... You're just picking teams that aren't ever in competition with Tottenham. No, Bournemouth is good. Bournemouth is all right. Born- I've but never they're... even heard of them. Oh, they're great. What, they're what great. City for some do reason, they play in? Bournemouth, oh. I think. <laughs> but for some reason, there's a few things I like about them. One is that they're kind of like, like two years ago, they had all these games where they were winning them in like the 95th minute. They were winning at the very, very end, which is super exciting. But also, their like chant or slogan is is up the cherries, which makes zero sense to me as an American. Hmm. So I just like it. All right. So whenever they win, you just say, up the cherries. Fair enough. Um, so I'm watching this highlight video you sent me. One thing that's funny about it, like four or five of these highlights are him missing goals. Like being in really good Roll position, the getting the, the ball and missing. My computer can't handle it. I mean, were there not three minutes worth of highlights that don't involve him missing that they could have put together i mean eight goals in 27 appearances like you know he's got eight that's goals. not great that's not that that's not that great though well i'm just saying for a youtube clip it seems like you got something there uh what was his fifa ranking his fifa ranking yes that's right uh eight or 76 potential 81 and david gave him a a solid four four out of ten yeah i think four out of ten sounds four, about right four category four four for four yeah yeah, I agree with David on that one. And I do love it when superfans just rate it for me. Four out of ten. All right. Joe, do you want me to rate the celebrities for you? Because you know what? Carson didn't send anything in. 
Carson. Come on. I mean, Carson's been working so hard. All right, let's go to the bin. Joe, it's okay. Yeah. You know another tenant of Joe Picks Podism? We, we pick it? each other up, Joe. So you know what? I, I did sure. the celebrities. I spent a long time researching this, and Joe, I believe I have some celebrities that are going to, that are just picked for you, Joe. They're going to amaze. You're going to love it. Let's start with the honorable, or dare I say, Joe, dishonorable mention. The number oh. one celebrity. Both Tony and Pam, they are excited. They're craning their necks to see what celebrities I picked because I've, I have told them I would not reveal them in advance. They'd have to be surprised by my amazing selections. But I promised them, they've already guessed one of them, I promised them all four celebrities they would know, although maybe not one of them, but three of them you'll definitely know, and they, they are people who've made a huge impact on American life, none other than this first honorable mention. That's right, Yoko Ono. Born in Tokyo, okay. Japan. A Japanese multimedia artist, singer, songwriter, and peace activist who is known for her work in performance art and filmmaking. She performs in both English and Japanese. She is known for being the second wife of singer-songwriter <coughs> John Lennon of the Beatles. All Beatles fans love Yoko Ono, I'm, I'm pretty sure. That's my understanding. Not, yeah, not at all a polarizing figure. <laughs> there is actually a really good Japanese Beatles band, uh, Beatles cover band that doesn't speak any English, but they learned all the Beatles songs in English. And so they perform in concert, they only sing the songs, and then they speak no other English besides that. Wow, that's awesome. They're great. Yeah. They're called the Yoko Onos. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. The bronze medalist, we're on to the podium, is none other than Pat Morita. Do you know who that oh, is, yeah. Joe? Absolutely, Mr. Miyagi. There you go. Born in California, but his parents were both Japanese and emigrated to America in the early 1900s. Morita gained particular fame playing the wise karate teacher Mr. Miyagi, who taught young Daniel-san, Ralph Macchio, the art of karate in The Karate Kid, he was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor and a corresponding Golden Globe Award. And get this, he was never a student of karate. He learned all of that for the films. Amazing. The silver medalist. Amazing. None other, Joe, than your favorite baseball player of all time, Ichiro Suzuki. Playing for your Seattle Mariners. Born in Aichi, Japan, and grew up in the town of Toyoyama, a relatively small town just outside Nagoya. He's a baseball player. Though he played his first eight years in Japan, he still has over 3,000 hits in Major League Baseball, a feat almost impossible for most hitters who spend their entire careers in Major League Baseball. In his first 10 years in Major League Baseball, he was a 10-time All-Star and a 10-time Gold Glove winner and also throw in two American League batting titles, he holds MLB records for most hits in a season, 262, consecutive 200-hit seasons, 10, and most hits by a foreign-born player. I mean, people love Ichiro in Seattle. And, I mean, what's not to love? It, Ichiro is, is awesome. Like, he could run for mayor of Seattle right now and probably win in, like, a landslide. He's very popular. I don't think he speaks English. Oh, he definitely speaks English. He speaks like All a the better. bit of English. No, I think he speaks through a translator still. Right. Well, he could speak English. Or interpreter. Ichiro could do anything he wants. And the gold medalist, Joe, this one's just for you. Masi Oka, 
Do you know who this is, Joe? Yeah, of course. God damn it, Joe. I'm, well, I did pick all these perfectly for you. An actor, producer, and digital effects artist born in Tokyo, Japan. He moved to Los Angeles when he was six years old. In 1987, when he was 12 years old, Oka was featured on the cover of Time, titled something that may not get away with these days. Quote, those Asian American whiz kids. <laughs> Perhaps his biggest acting role was as Hiro Nakamura Hero. in the NBC hit show Heroes, Joe, a show you and I both loved. He won an Emmy for Best Supporting Actor in a Drama Series for this role. While on the show Heroes, Joe, get this, while on the show Heroes, he continued his part-time job at George Lucas's Industrial Light and Magic research and development as a research and development technical director helping to create right software to create special effects it's a renaissance man also where's where's the heroes reboot that we need well i think they did it called heroes reborn which masioka also was in which i don't think really hit it off well i didn't watch that but you know i mean how did how did that guy get picked over ken watanabe i mean seriously because Masioka is awesome. Joe, do you know who Ken Watanabe is? Uh, Ken Watanabe uh, is from... Who is that? No, I don't know. Okay, he was in Inception. Uh, Batman Begins. Memoirs of a Geisha. The Last Oh, Samurai. I'm Googling. Yeah, oh yeah, that guy. Oh yeah, yeah, he was in Inception. He was the guy in Inception. Yes. Oh yeah, I love yeah. that guy. Yeah, the Inception guy. Yeah. Yeah, that guy's all right. Instead of, like, the one TV star actor who was in Heroes with Hayden I mean, Well, Joe and I, I mean, Here's the thing about Heroes. Right? Here's the thing about Heroes. See, Tony, this is what you're missing. His name was Hero. I understand. No, I've seen the And show. the show was called Heroes. Yes, and he, like, closed his eyes a lot. That was his bit. Okay, Joe and, I, Joe and I spent so many hours talking about Heroes when it was out back so many years ago. The only thing he did was close his eyes. That was Joe, his only game. How much time have we spent talking about Inception? I mean, zero. We could have, I mean, this is pre-podcasting. We could have done Heroes cast and, and it would have been great. It would have been, had we done it, we'd, we would have invented the podcast. I mean, Dan, we could still do a Heroes re- rewatch podcast and probably still have a lot to talk about. Oh, wow. <laughs> it would be it would be so disappointing we'd build up the hype we'd ask so many questions you'd be like oh boy i wonder how they're gonna figure this out i wonder how they're gonna resolve this yeah, and they yeah. Don't. clearly and clearly they the don't. creators have a plan yeah. for the storyline that's gonna wrap up perfectly they must. No, the answer is they do not resolve any of it um yeah i mean these are great japanese celebrities the other thing i mean and i don't know if you know this but but, but my favorite author is murakami the the very prolific japanese author uh, which is one of the reasons why Liz and I went to Japan the first time we went to Japan. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm definitely uh, uh, feel strongly about the Japanese celebrities. But you picked well, Dan. Thank you, Joe. Uh, what would you rate my picking of the celebrities? I mean, I would say 9 out of 10 only because Karsten, when he's, when he's on his game, is a 10 out of 10. Yeah. Look, I, I was just trying to pick him up. I wasn't trying to replace him. Not at all. Not at all. And we hope Carson's back for the last few episodes. Unlike the Japanese fans, I don't take away good union jobs, Joe. (laughs) He does not pick up trash, this guy. Definitely not. Uh, I put the carts back, though. Tony, any other Japanese celebrities you feel strongly about? They're mostly all baseball players, like Hideki Arabu, 
but none of them hold a candle to Ichiro. Although this new guy, Shohei Otani. Yeah, Otani is awesome. The new Japanese Babe Ruth. I mean, he has the potential. He is good. Not as of now. Yeah, why, of, of all the countries, why is, is Japan so pro-baseball? American colonialism. Yeah, yeah but it's their, it's their biggest sport. I was looking this up. I mean, Japan, for this country, 100 million people, they didn't have a professional soccer league until the 1990s, you know. I mean, I, I, I wonder when the MLS... Yeah, no, no, no. Out. When you go to Japan, it's weird. I mean, like... Only because I don't know what your experience was, Tony or Pam, but like the thing that I love about going to Tokyo is that it really is it's like being on a different planet and in the future. Like it's so different than an American city. But one thing that's very interesting is you go to like a tall, like high rise building, you look out over Tokyo and you see baseball diamonds everywhere. And it's sort of like incredible because it, it does feel like I associate baseball so strongly. It, it, it's such an American sport yeah. to be in such a foreign place and to see all these baseball diamonds like littering the landscape is such a weird experience. Yeah, so uh, Americans brought baseball to Japan. They brought baseball to Taiwan. They brought baseball to Korea uh, because of the military bases, right? American mm. soldiers would want to play baseball uh, and they taught the game to people around them. Uh, and so those are like the strongest international baseball uh, areas and Japan in particular because, you know, their other national sport is sumo wrestling, which is limited to a small proportion of people. <laughs> uh, not small. Not, not, not small people. Yes, uh, yes. A small proportion of people. Uh, but um, That's yeah, interesting. Everybody can play baseball, right? And, and it's again, it's a massive country. This is the 11th biggest country in the world, and this is, this is their most popular sport. Right, right. So, so the Japanese high school baseball tournament is the probably cultural equivalent to March Madness in the U.S. Wow. Uh, and so Yu Darvish made his name by being a high school baseball phenom in Japan. Uh, and many of the Japanese stars that we know today made their names by winning the equivalent of March Madness as the high school uh, baseball tournament in Japan. So that's how big baseball is in Japan. Uh, and, you know, baseball is, of course, also the second biggest sport and the third biggest sport in other countries that the U.S. had military bases and introduced the sport to. Now, here's a real inside baseball question, as it were. Uh in that Little League World Series, the Chinese Taipei team, which I assume we can refer to as Taiwan. Controversial. They're always really good, and they always like make it to the final. Why, mm-hmm. why aren't there any Taiwanese mm-hmm. players in Major League Baseball? Well, so, that's a great question, Dan. Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, so a couple things happened. Uh, Taiwan used to win the Little League World Series all the time. Yeah, right? I think they still get really far. Uh, all the time. Uh, but then uh, other teams in the Little League filed a petition against Taiwan and said that they weren't a real Little League team uh, because they were comprised of a national team of players from Taiwan. So they forced Taiwan to break up into smaller states uh, and so diluted their team. Even though Taiwan is a population of 23 million people, not a very large country. Oh, that's bullshit. Oh, that explains everything. That explains everything, right? This This is is is, like the ultra all-star. Yeah, it was like a 1994 or 1990s when the Taiwan team was just killing everybody in Little League. Like, they were just hitting home runs like every other 
uh, batter. Uh, so there was like a formal protest, and it was lodged, and they forced the national Taiwan team to break up into smaller states, if you will, oh. north, south, east, and west. Uh, so that's why Taiwan doesn't win the World League World Series anymore. Huh. Very interesting. Wow. I feel that's amazing. I feel it. Uh, I'm shocked that you knew the answer to that, Tony. That was there's an out of left. Oh, this question. is this is this is a source of some some. Uh, <laughs> I mean, come on! It's a twenty-three million. Twenty-three million people is not that many people. Has a has a Taiwanese player made it to Major League Baseball? Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Chen Ming Wong. Oh, okay. The, the the Yankees. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, right now, because because Ichiro is like, like when Ichiro was at his best, he might have been the best player in Major League Baseball. Right. And obviously, that there that's been the way for Dominican players mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and. Pretty much everybody. I'm trying to think if there's ever been a Korean baseball player, Taiwanese player, has ever reached that level. A Korean player, uh, Hyojin Ryu. Yeah. On the Dodgers. Dodgers. Uh, Hisop Choi. Okay, Hisop Choi. Yeah, Hisop Choi. Yeah. But still, no. Sinsu Chu. There can't be anybody at Ichiro's level. No, no, no. Not at that level. Byung-Hun Kim? No. I love Byung-Hun Kim. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he played for the Padres. Yeah, at one point. Yeah, uh, so there are a lot of good players, but like, again, Japan population one hundred yeah. million. Yeah, Taiwan twenty three million, Korea fifty million. Yeah, uh, you're just not gonna get the same level of stratospheric uh, talent. But also that their systems are just really geared towards pushing people to play baseball. Yeah, like, it does mm-hmm. seem that like in Korea they play more sports. Just based on, it seems like Korea is better in. I mean, they're better in soccer. It seems that they're yeah. better in well, skating. At least they've gotten. But don't they don't they play basketball too in Korea? They do, but baseball is still the most popular sport. Hmm. Yeah, but Japan, it's just baseball. Like, hmm. you 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 play baseball. High school baseball is like the thing to do. Yeah, that'd be fun. I think it's it's that's part of the sad thing about America. There's so many sports. There's no, like, one... We don't have the national pastime anymore. Which is a bit of a bummer. Well, especially now that, you know, people shouldn't be playing football anymore because it, you know, gives you brain damage. Yeah, football's terrible. Uh, I mean, baseball is the sport. Like, it should be our national pastime. Anyways, Joe, there you go. That was uh, the celebrities category. Oh, yeah, this is a good list of celebrities. Let's say... uh, we kind of got off the rails there, but uh, 8 out of 10. 8 out of 10. Wow, Joe. All that's left is the drink. Joe, you have your sake. I hope you've you finished it. I mean, sake, you can really pound that stuff down. I mean, I sort of switched to Zabrowka at a certain point. <laughs> Joe, for some of these episodes, you've... You, you have to put the Zabrowka away. You have to really fully enjoy the drink of the country just so you can give it the fair rating. Look, each season we've had sort of the, like, season drink. Obviously, season one was the Fuzzy Cola. Season two, 100% is Zabrowka. Yeah. Zabrowka is so good. It's so good. It's the only, it's the only vodka I'm going to have in my house, ever. I think if you can only have one liquor for the rest of your life... 
I might pick Zarathos. I mean, Maker's Mark or some sort of yeah, bourbon would be up bourbon, there. Joe? I don't think that's right. I, I switched to bourbon as well, so we're all switching to our liquor of choice. Good. Zabravka is good, though. Anyways, Joe, what do you give sake? I mean, the sake was really good. I I I love sake. I love that sake is a, a very communal drink. You you get those like tiny cups and you drink it with a bunch of people. Like you're not supposed to be like drinking, you know, sake in like a big, you know, drinking it out of the bottle by yourself, right? Like I like it's supposed to be served, you know, with food, like you have it warm, you have it cold, unfiltered, filtered, like there's a whole bunch of different options for it. I really like sake. The sake I had is a very good sake, uh, but I'm going to say 8 out of 10 for this, too. 8 out of 10, wow. It's a big score based on what you're yeah. saying. So their total score, 56, which puts their average at 6.22. Ooh. Uh, like you've never had a team in the sixes you've said no to, so this could be a first. But, you know, otherwise, you, you really have a bunch of teams in the, the high fives, the low sixes, and you've given yes to all of them. The highest no that you've given is Nigeria at 5.72. So, uh, yeah, you, if, if you were to, to reject them, which you're, you're well within your right to do, I mean, based on your tuna score of a negative 5, you know, you could take your atrocities, put that at a negative 5. If you, you know, really felt, if you felt the same way about destroying the tuna population that... You do about these atrocities. You could easily, give, you know, talk yourself into uh, keeping them out, but you know, you're also visiting the country, so you, you've got something invested in them. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, I, I, I do think that that probably the atrocities should play heavier here than than almost any other country we're talking about. But I can't get past the fact that, like, look, I'm going to be there. I'm going to want them to make it past the group stage, and if by some stretch of of luck or skill or chance or whatever, they actually go deep in the tournament. Like it's going to be so exciting to be there. Um, so yeah, I think Japan's moving on. Wow. So Joe, of all these last countries, yes for Belgium, yes for England, yes for Japan. This is uh. This is going to be a crowded round of 16. There's going to be there's definitely going to be some play-in games, Joe. Oh, I have a plan for the play-in games. Uh, I have a good idea for them. But, uh, you know, in the meantime, Dan, speaking of just adding teams to our play-in games, let's talk about the zombie team business, Dan. Ah, the zombie team, yes. So I would like to nominate three zombie teams. Okay. Ooh, is this, is this going to be a, a little bit of a poll question here, Joe? This is a fan poll. And whatever team wins out of this fan poll goes forward so oh this is good joe so this is going to get some of those fjord jumpers or some of those fans that uh (coughs) straight dawdlers or (laughs) 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 to get off to get off their lazy butts get into the subreddit and put in their vote because if they don't i mean if zebulon doesn't come in there and but i'm assuming poland's going in but i i I don't want to i don't want to make us although Making assumptions confidently is is part of our religion, but so you know what, Joe? I'm going to assume that Poland's in. I'm going to I'm going to pre-write Poland in to this fan poll. Well, Dan, you're right. Poland is in. God, this religion it always pays off. So that it leaves does. two other countries, Joe. There's I couldn't even assume because I have no idea what where you're going with these other two. 
So I'll tell you, the two countries I'm thinking of, one is Nigeria, which you said has the highest score of any team that hasn't made it through. All right. Uh, And the second is something that we did in our Passover episode where, you know, I, in that episode, passed over Switzerland, Ah. which had a, a higher raw score than Senegal. But didn't make it through, even though Senegal did. And I have no regrets about that decision. However, uh, I think they should get a shot at the zombie team. So those are the three teams I'd like to put forward. All right. Wow. We've got two European teams and an African team. Poland, Switzerland, and Nigeria. And we'll just put it up to the fans. So I will, I will put that there in the normal Reddit thing. And then... When we do our next episode, I'm just going to count whichever one has more votes, and they're in. They are they are the zombie team. And this is the next episode, so people really need to get it in. Yeah, which God knows when we'll do. We have to do it this weekend, though, based on your schedule, based on the official parchment, which I don't know where it went. It's somewhere on the floor, but... <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, we definitely have to do it this weekend. Yeah. So that's it. We're, we're doing Egypt and Colombia this weekend. Oh, no, no. We're doing yep. Egypt, just Egypt. And then we're going to do Colombia and our Germany. Colombia and Germany is our final episode. Correct. Wow. Correct. That's exciting. So Egypt this weekend. All right. So uh, there you have it. That's it. So for those who fall on the lake side of the fjord versus lakes debate, they can be lake leapers. Lake leapers. Lake leapers or fjord jumpers. That's right. Yeah. Now... Yeah, no, I'm not going to give it any further thought. <laughs> so, <laughs> straight dawdlers, stop. Lake leapers or fjord jumpers, canal sitters. Yeah. All right, there you go. There you have it. Get off, get off your lake straight or fjords, respectively. Get into the subreddit, Reddit slash R slash Joe Picks, and put in your vote. Because you know what? If you don't vote, you don't have a say. And we know. At least we have one Polish fan. So if we don't get at least that one Poland vote, then we know we're, we're really losing fans fast. You know that's right. And look at Donald Trump. Right, bad things happen when 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 good people don't vote. Do people really want shoestring fries? Fucking shoestring fries to win the poll of bad. best fries. It's not because people like shoestring fries. It's because they're too lazy to fucking turn out to vote. Yeah. If 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 the Joe picks pod. Reddit subpage is an indication of what's going to happen in the midterm elections. Democrats are screwed. And I think it is. Yeah, I agree. I think as goes the Joe Picks pod subreddit, so goes the midterm elections. We're, we're a bellwether. This is yeah. a bellwether podcast. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Uh, well, you know what? The whole point of this podcast is picking a country that's better than our own because ours is not only terrible at soccer, but they're terrible at a lot of things. But you know what? For this World Cup, we can forget all of our troubles, pick a better country, and one of the three, Poland, Nigeria, or Switzerland, is going to get their chance. That's right. All right. And that's right. Any, any closing thoughts, Tony or Pam? Pam says with a shrug as she's browsing Facebook on her phone. (laughs) If she's a bellwether of our listeners, they have all tuned out by now. Great episode. Great episode. Love the Cup of Joe. I'm I'm 
Oh my god, I'm, I'm touching it. Tony, let me see it. Hold it up to the video right. chat. I want to see what this oh cup of Joe looks like. Oh my god, I can hold it with one hand. Again, we're an audio medium, so oh, while we do yeah. all of this, we are we are out of here. Joe, great episode. So one thing just to note about the cup of Joe, it did break at one point, and my and my my poor dad. They had the cup of Joe at their house. He picked up the cup of Joe. The top of it broke, which is why his feet sort of look like he's wearing like boots or maybe walking through <laughs> yeah. some very thick mud because yeah. uh, the the place that fixed it, which was actually a car place, uh, you know, it didn't do it with like precision. I think it just adds to the trophy, Joe. It totally adds character. This to trophy it. is yeah. going to be around, being sent back and forth between fantasy teams for for decades to come. And you know what? I think that was like a weak joint, and I think it's good that your dad sort of knocked it off so they could reinforce it. Because I'll tell you, that current joint, those uh, when they say somebody's got cement shoes, like that's exactly what this guy has. Absolutely, and those aren't going Absolutely. anywhere. All right, Tony, Pam, Dan, it's been a pleasure. Thanks, Joe. See you, Joe. Bye, Joe. Bye.